Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're talking about breastfeeding struggles. Breastfeeding may be perfectly natural, but it is not perfectly easy. Many people think it will just happen without realizing there is a steep learning curve. So what are the most common breastfeeding struggles and how can you navigate them? Kathleen Kendall Tackett tells us more. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Expectful, an evidence-based guided meditation app created specifically for those trying to conceive, pregnant, or new moms. Reduce your stress, reduce your complications, and improve your connection to your baby and partner. Learn more and sign up for a free two-week trial at expectful.com slash birthful. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, Mighty Mamas and Mamas to be, Mighty Dads and Dads to be, Mighty Parents and Parents to be. Thank you so, so much for all the love you give the show. Now, here's the part where I usually ask that if you like what you hear, then please subscribe to the show and leave a review. Today, I'm going to ask you for something different. This week, would you let at least one new person know about the podcast? Just share it with somebody. Just say, hey, you're pregnant. <laughs> Do you know about the Birthful Podcast? Help me spread the word and the love and, you know, help me out. Thank you so much. Before we start the show, there are a couple of things I've got for you today. First is to help you check out other podcasts on the Parents on Demand network. Birthful is part of that network, and it's been fun for me to see what others are doing in this space. For example, Shanna Chamberlain has a show called Business and Baby Food, specifically for moms who have their own businesses. Shanna is the owner and creative director of a digital marketing agency for mompreneurs and small businesses. And every week, she chats with a different successful mompreneur to empower, encourage, and educate others in the same boat. The Business and Baby Food Show tackles what it really takes to be a work-at-home mom in today's digital age. So if that's you, I encourage you to have a listen at businessandbabyfood.com. Okay, cool. So that's the one thing. The second thing is a reminder for all the doulas that live near Buffalo, New York, where my doulas at, about my upcoming Rethinking Prenatals workshop that's happening on Sunday, November 12th. If you find yourself telling your clients, trust your body, or you'll know what to do, or go with the flow, and then you're surprised when they don't do it, well, duh, it's because those phrases are quite useless, in the face of their thinking brains. You know, that part of the brain that is enticed and lured by shinier objects like dilation and gets frustrated when quote unquote, nothing is happening or things aren't happening fast enough. Well, so if that is you and you want to know how to help your clients go deep and make their thinking brains actually help the process, instead of hindering it, then come spend the day with me. I've got super extra crystal clear answers for you. Plus, much fun will be had, I promise. Go to birthfulcourses.com to register today and save 20 bucks off registration. If you have questions, then send them to info at birthful.com. All right. My guest today is the always awesome Kathleen Kendall Tackett, a health psychologist, international board certified lactation consultant, and the owner and editor-in-chief of Preclaris Press, which is a small press specializing in women's health. Kathy, welcome to the show. It is always so lovely to have you here. Thank you, Adriana. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. always. It's been, so I realize it's been almost two years since you were on here last. Wow, that's it's amazing. Crazy. You were one of the first uh, episodes. Yeah. Well, it's good to be back. Happy, happy that you're back. So breastfeeding struggle, most common breastfeeding struggles, right? Why? I think we need to, to take a step back and actually reframe expectations because people think that right. breastfeeding is just going to work. But, you know, it doesn't necessarily. So why is breastfeeding so hard? Well, it is hard for some people, certainly. Um, and it's like I said, I think you're right to, to help mothers kind of have expectations about it. But I think, honestly, one of the reasons it's hard starts right in the hospital. You know, when we have a lot of birth interventions, we know that that actually impacts breastfeeding. Um, and so I think that's part of the problem right there. 
And I'd say another part of the big issue is the fact that women basically go home to no support. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like that combination of you've got kind of a setup of what happens in the hospital. You know, it's kind of like the more birth interventions you have, you know, sometimes the more challenging to be. Now, those can all be overcome. I don't want to paint an op- a pessimistic picture here, but that is actually one of the things that contributes because, you know, a highly stressful birth actually impacts things like when your milk comes in, you know, or what we call lactogenesis too. Um, you know, it can impact how much you have milk ejection. You know, it's like if that stress system is, is, is turned on or upregulated, the oxytocin system is down. And so when that happens, actually, it does actually have an impact on things like milk ejection. So that's one of the things that makes it hard. Um, you know, then you go home, you got no help and support. And a lot of times, you know, you're hearing about, you know, mom stopping at the grocery store on the way home from the hospital, you know, crazy stuff that you wouldn't have in other cultures, you know. And so then we wonder why, you know, then mom's home by herself all day struggling with breastfeeding stuff. You know, and the social isolation and the, you know, the tiredness and the, you know, probably not feeling all that great uh, because, you know, we discharge our mom so quick. I mean, you know, then we kind of wonder why is she having problems? It's like, well, I think it's actually kind of obvious, truthfully. You know, all these things kind of contribute and make it really difficult, you know. And so those are things that I think also, too, you know, unfortunately on Facebook and stuff, we've got a lot of things floating around, you know, telling mothers things like nipple pain is normal. Um, it isn't normal. It's something that we've got to look into. If, if a mom has pain, you know, I really strongly encourage you to go talk to a lactation consultant. And if you don't get a good answer with the first one, go see another one. Because it's kind of like what Tina Smiley says, it's like having a rock in your shoe. You know, it doesn't mean you should just try to adjust and walk with a limp. It means stop and take the rock out of your shoe. You know, pain is our body's signal that something's amiss. Now, you know, sometimes moms hear that and they think, well, that means I'm doing it wrong. No, not necessarily, you know, not necessarily at all. Um, sometimes it could be something that we can't even see. It could be something like what's going on inside the baby's mouth. You know, that could be causing pain. But, you know, please, if, if, if you're having pain, please investigate because it's, let's get it fixed sooner rather than later if we can. Yeah, and that is a, there's a very common struggle. And I love, like, you said so many things right there. Let's unpack them a little bit. Because support is a huge part of it. But Absolutely. It's so, so enormous. And so is knowledge and, and, and comfort level. Like, acclimation, you know. Yeah. And, and we are disconnected from from breastfeeding. We don't see other people breastfeeding. It's not something that we grow up uh it right. with so it's all so new right at a time where you're super exhausted and yeah. also it has a learning curve like I really like the walking analogy where walking is completely normal but we would expect walking to have some struggles at the beginning and something that you keep trying and testing and hmm, maybe I'll hold on to this or I need to right. crawl first right and we don't go oh you know just give up baby don't walk anymore <laughs> because right. you're not getting the hang of it right Right, right. I think actually, you know, that's a that's a good analogy because it's like, um, you know, it, it, it sometimes can be challenging. And I think another challenge that moms have is, you know, they just feel like they're 24-7, you know, got the baby on them, mm-hmm. you know, and that's just can be kind of overwhelming, you know. And I think some way to kind of think about that is, you know, remember your baby has been used to being held in utero 24-7 you know, surrounded by warm fluid and everything. And it's, it's really, doesn't really make a lot of sense to think that they're going to suddenly all of a sudden want to, you know, be by themselves for hours a day, you know? So I think sometimes that's another one of the expectations. I think if moms know that this is coming, that we can actually, um, you know, say that, uh, you know, we can help them adjust their sort of expectations about what it's going to be like. Now, sometimes, you know, one thing that can be kind of helpful is like if you've got a baby who who does seem like they're kind of like on all the time, like they, they nurse a little and they go to sleep, they nurse a little and they go to sleep, sometimes doing something what we call, you know, sort of breast massage and breast compression actually can help because what that does is that actually releases more of the fatty, you know, sort of milk into the breast milk. Uh, you're kind of like releasing those out of the cells. And so sometimes that can give you a little more staying power and get a few more calories into the baby. So, you know, you kind of like, you know, you sort of 
take your breast. They call it the milkshake. You know, you kind of take your breast and you sort of, you know, like hold them and sort of shake them before you put the baby on a massage a little bit gently. And then when the baby's on, you do a gentle compression at the breast, just sort of a squeeze. You don't have to squeeze up and down, just like a gentle squeeze. And and then that actually, like I said, that encourages the baby to nurse a little bit more, but it also gets a few more calories in. And sometimes that can be kind of a, you know, give you a little bit of a, of, of a, um, a relief if you, you know, maybe you can go take a shower or something, get a few more calories into that baby. Um, so then you can actually, um, you know, just have just a little bit of a break. I mean, it's still not going to be, you're still going to probably end up holding that baby quite a bit, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, sometimes you just need that like five minutes so you can run in and use the bathroom or go take a quick shower. Right. And sometimes that can do that. Or even just a little bit of a break at night. Uh, sometimes that can be really helpful. But also, too, especially if you've got a baby who's kind of sleepy, just being able to get a few extra calories in, I think, is a good idea. Yeah. And that goes into, like, I like to, in my mind, I classify the breastfeeding struggles sort of into different categories. Um, and so that, to me, goes into, like, the circumstantial category, where breastfeeding yeah. is going to be a little tough and might have some struggles circumstantially. Yeah. So that you have a sleepy baby or right. you have, you know, a slow letdown reflex or a too fast letdown reflex um, or you're thinking not too much, you know, that milk struggle, especially when it's coming in at the beginning where your right. baby wants so much milk and, and the body hasn't gotten the signal to make it yet or has had interventions during birth that right. may be causing a delay there. Um, what should what? So I love your trick about the milkshake. What other things can can parents expect in terms of those issues, a sort of circumstantial struggles? Circumstantial struggle. Well, I think, you know, again, lack of support is a big one. You know, and it's like sometimes moms might feel like so exhausted and sort of, um, you know, by themselves that, you know, they don't they don't even get a chance to eat during the day. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's nothing, you know, it's like, it's really hard when you're sort of one handed, you know, to be able to sort of like make yourself something to eat. And, uh, you know, so just not even, you know, and sometimes moms are so depleted that it's hard for them um, to even make enough milk. You know, so again, like I said, you know, it's really important that they're, you know, that moms get some way to get some kind of help and support. Uh, so, you know, that's actually something that I think is really important, you know, so try to brainstorm a little bit, you know, if you don't automatically have somebody, you know, who can help you, what can you do? Um, can you bring somebody in? Can you, is there a neighborhood, you know, teenager who, who can come in and give you a little bit of a break in the afternoon so you can take a break, you know, and go take a nap? Um, you know, are there meals you can prep, you know, and have ready? Uh, you know, so try to kind of brainstorm about what kinds of things can you do um, to so you don't feel so depleted uh, as a mom. I think that that's one of the circumstantial things that would really help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and know that because baby is going to demand, right? That's that's their yeah. instinct is for survival and they're going to make sure they are heard. And if they're not being attended to, they're going to you know, make, let you know. And it's easy to just give, 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 give and have not take care of yourself. And then you, I mean, you are the one that's making milk. Your body's the one making the milk. So if that system is stressed, it's going to create some struggle down the line in terms of feeling like you don't have enough milk or, or baby, and then baby gets fussier because they're not getting those extra calories. Right. 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 Well, again, like I said, that's when you want to go back and use the compression and the milkshake. That does help. Mm -hmm. Um, One other thing I would actually recommend, especially for a baby who seems like he's sort of fussy, is if, you know, get a baby sling or a baby carrier. There's lots of great ones out there now. Um, You know, and that can be a way that at least it kind of frees up your hands. You know, so maybe you can feel like you're, you know, getting a couple of other things done during the day. Because I think that's sometimes a frustration is you feel like you're doing nothing but sitting there and nursing. Mm. Or you can get outside and maybe go out and be around some other people, take a walk, you know, around the neighborhood. But that can be actually very comforting to a baby. Something else to know, too, is it's like I don't I don't recommend letting babies cry. I don't um, for a lot of reasons. And, you know, but, you know, like if a baby is held and they're still crying, um, they are getting that, you know, you're creating that lower stress in the baby, even if they're still fussing and carrying on. You know, so 
sometimes moms worry about, well, you know, I'm holding him and he's still crying. Is that going to cause problems? And it's like, no, actually it doesn't. That lowers the stress for the baby that says, you know, you're not just here by yourself. Um, so, you know, sometimes that can be just kind of a break. And sometimes even just, you know, you know, like I said, putting your baby, you know, uh, in a carrier and kind of just walking around the neighborhood. Um, you know, I've had moms, uh, when I used to be up in Maine and New Hampshire, literally, I had some moms call me and, you know, my gosh, you know, we had so much snow this one winter and these moms up in like Maine were like snowed in, you know, with these two little kids. And I just said, look, get, get their snowsuits on and get them in the car and go through the drive-thru at McDonald's. You know, I said, just get out of the house, mm. you know, cause I mean, it's, it's really too cold to go out and take a walk. But I said, just go, you know just get out of the house and go someplace, uh, you know, where, it, where it's going to be easy for you. I said, cause you're going to go crazy being yeah. out, you know, just all cooped up in this house. Like, you know, I mean, they talk about cabin fever, you know, when people used to go kind of nuts, you know, out, you know, because they were out on the prairie, you know, these women by themselves with kids, mm-hmm. um, you know, it happens. It's the social isolation piece. I don't think is something we probably pay enough attention to, but it's something that I think is probably one of the biggest challenges of those sort of initial weeks home oh, of moms. I totally agree. And I think like it, it's such a big adjustment in terms of as like life before baby, if you look at the things that you need to do to recharge yourself, I find that yeah. usually people need to either like have time by themselves to recharge right. or hang out with others to recharge. And having a new baby is this like, specific circumstances where you're neither you're isolated so you don't have like if you recharge from other people you're probably not going to get that so much but then you're also over touch and never have a moment alone because this baby's with you all the time so if that was your recharge mechanism you're kind of stuck in between the two and it's so difficult yeah it is it is really difficult and I said you know I think it's it's one of the characteristics of, of it's been like this really, you know, since the 1950s. Uh, I read this actually really interesting book about, um, you know, uh, it was called, um, oh gosh, I'm, I'm blocking, I can see the title, but it was about a history of basically um, domesticity, you know, in the United States. And they were talking about how it had changed so much. And so by the 1950s, she was talking about how mothers sometimes would just listen to the radio so they could hear another adult voice during the day. I mean, she was just really talking about that isolation that was common even then. And I think it's even worse now, you know, because so many moms go back to work early, you know, and it's like, especially if you're like, say the first in your group who's had a baby, you know, it's like all of a sudden your friends who don't have babies don't know kind of how to relate to you. And so you're sort of cut off from that. You're, mm. You may be cut off from your work friends. Um, and it's, it's hard to sort of make some of those connections. Uh, and especially in those first few weeks, you know, it's just, it's really, really hard. So again, like I said, to think about, okay, what are some ways you can do, you know, so if you're, you know, when your partner comes home, uh, in the evening, you know, that might be a time that you say, okay, you know, I need, I need half an hour to go soak in a tub or I need to go out and, and, you know, hang with some people for a little bit. And give yourself the permission to do that. Because I find lots of moms that that's the biggest struggle. They can't, they feel horrible leaving their, quote unquote, leaving their babies. Like that's a whole different, we could go down that rabbit hole for a while. But for, you know, with the other parent even for a short amount of time, half an hour, an hour. Yeah, because I mean, you know, honestly, you know, you you feed the baby and then you go disappear for half an hour. You know, baby's probably going to be fine that time I mean that you know that they've just fed mm-hmm. you know uh, so I think actually you know you, you might need to think about it's going to be kind of shorter amounts of time you know my youngest son was one who would never ever take a bottle and so if I wanted to go do something I mean I had a pretty short leash in terms mm. of you know and it's like I was at uh, uh, I had an appointment at Wellesley College at that time and so it basically gave me enough time you know, when he was a little bit older, but it's like he wasn't a newborn. But it's like I basically had enough time to run up the road, do my meeting, and then run back home. And, with, you know. Yeah, I'm sure that even that just getting away for a little bit was replenishing for you. Yeah, yeah, it was. You know, it was a little bit of a, you know, sort of a foot back in sort of, you know, my normal life. Um, so it, it was actually, uh, but I had a fairly short leash, you know, in terms of how long I could go and, you know, you can, you can do it. You know, you, even if you just said, just go to a different part of, you know, where you live, go, go, you know, go soak in the tub or even just lock yourself in the bathroom and read a book or something. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's why I love the sort of breastfeeding cafes and new mom support groups. And oh, yeah. because the expectations there are you don't have to like be, you know, your shirt doesn't have to be clean and you don't have to be looking great. You can and you can just sit there and even if you take your baby, you can just sit there breastfeed and people right. are not there. You're actually going to get some support and feedback um, and encouragement rather than being worried of, you know, are people going to like have a problem that I'm breastfeeding in public or whatever. Well, and I think it's also easy too because it's like, um, you know, sometimes some of these mom groups can be a little hard to break into. Mm. You know, so the the the, the drop in cafe thing, I think, is a really great concept because I think it's actually a little bit easier. Like it's like you know, because sometimes you go in and you feel like everybody knows each other, and that's not necessarily going to be true at a breastfeeding cafe. You know, so I think it's a little easier to kind of break into, and I think that they, I think that's a great model actually. Yeah, that's a great point. Hey, Kathy, what? Let's talk a little bit about the expectations of and and possible struggles of that period from when baby's born to when milk comes in, because I find that okay. can be struggle like that can bring a lot of challenges, especially if you've got you know care providers that are really watching baby's weight mm. like a hawk. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about like one one what's considered normal for milk to come in, and what are some of the things to look out for, and ways to encourage it, and and other things to consider in terms of you know birth interventions. I know that that was like right. ten questions in one, but okay. Well, um, normally we would expect you know that what we call lactogenesis too, and we try to kind of you know I know everybody uses the term milk coming in. Um, and so we'll go ahead and use that, but I just want to say there is actually already milk there, you know, but it's when it becomes more abundant mm-hmm. is actually probably a better way to, to describe lactogenesis too. So that's about day three to four is when you normally expect it. Now, what happens sometimes is, you know, especially with a highly stressful birth, that can be delayed. And, you know, what's to me a little bit frightening is that a mom wouldn't necessarily know that. Um, and so she's going home and the baby's kind of getting sleepier and sleepier because they're not eating very much. Um, and then all of a sudden they, they're back in a crisis. Uh, so what we want to kind of do is just keep an eye on that. We don't want to, I don't want to, I, I want to be careful never to scare moms about that, but boy, that'd be something, you know, if there's a highly stressful birth, I'd be watching that like a hawk, you know? So this is when you want to start thinking about, okay, you know, should we do sort of daily touch-ins with the with the lactation staff if that's available? That's ideal, actually. You know, or you know, if you've got somebody, you know, in some places they've got you know women who come to the home, um, and that actually can be you know a really good thing. But for the mom, you know, there's a few things I would I would recommend. You know, it's like if you're worried about that, you know, I said the the baby carrying is really good. Um, you know, probably doing again some of the the milkshake and the breast compression that that can actually help because again, part of that is again it, what it does is it actually releases that higher cal- calorie milk and especially if you've got a baby who's kind of sleepy. Um, again, those would be the things that I would I would do to probably see if you could maybe speed up. Like if you've had a stressful birth, how can you counter it? One of the other things is it kind of goes back to a mechanism in the brain. There's an area of a, of a uh, there's a little structure in the brain called the hypothalamus, and that's actually kind of what regulates a lot of our autonomic functioning. But in the hypothalamus is a little nucleus called the paraventricular nucleus. And there's kind of two systems that are governed in there. One is the stress system, and one is the oxytocin system. Okay, and so what we want is we want that stress system down, see. And what happens in a highly stressful birth is that stress system goes up and that suppresses the oxytocin. So think of them like on a toggle. When one is up, the other's down. Okay, so what we want to do is we want to think about, okay, we've had this, if you've had a highly stressful birth, what can you do to sort of counter it? And one of the things that's actually really key is for the mom to feel safe. So that's one thing that you, we've got to focus on, not just the mom, but also think about everybody in their life. What are the things that are making the mom feel safe? What are the mom, things making the mom feel unsafe? You know, and to be honest, you know, having a bunch of providers standing there saying, oh, you're not making it about enough milk is something that's not safe. And so this is maybe where the partner can come in and, you know, stand there and sort of be a guard 
you know, and kind of keep some of the people out of mom's life that are sort of stressing her out. You know, and unfortunately, that might be some of her relatives, you know, or some of or some, you know, like mother-in-law or something. Anybody who's not making that mom feel safe needs to not be in there. But also kind of what other th- kinds of things, you know, thinking about, you know, uh, keeping the mom warm, you know, putting, you know, like a, a hot compact, you know, uh, compress thing on her back, you know, on her neck and stuff that can actually be something that releases oxytocin, uh, you know, helping the mom, you know, with like maybe warm foot baths, um, massage actually, or something, uh, that's something that actually really can actually have a big oxytocin release. And so, especially for moms who've had a highly stressful birth, those are going to be things that are going to be helpful, you know, to try to think about how can you turn off that stress system and turn on that oxytocin system because when you turn on that oxytocin system that's when you're going to start getting the milk Mm -hmm. and I love that because that is something that's like to my doula brain that's very clear right (laughs) because during birth that's what you focus on the whole thing is make sure oxytocin is released because that's what that's what gets things happening going keep going like the whole thing so to to understand that it just you just need to do the same thing of during you know, postpartum, it, it click, yeah, that totally clicks in my mind. Um, what if, so if they had a stressful birth, you said that, you know, it, the milk coming in can be delayed. Yes. How long is that? And like, you it, sort of, we want moms to feel safe and secure and to think, you know what, my baby's fine. I'm just, we're just going to keep at it. We're just going to do lots of skin to skin. We're going to keep working on this. And I'm going to try not to stress about the weight loss or the fact that my milk's not coming in and trust that I do have milk or, you know, um, but how many days, right? Because then you start thinking, well, my baby's hungry. Right. And what do I do? Well, you know, in some of the studies, the delay has been actually, it can actually be kind of long. It can go up to like six days, you know, and, and, that, and in those cases, and if we can't seem to kind of get that, you know, that milk supply coming in sooner, uh, you know, again, like I said, hopefully by doing some of these measures to kind of counter it and make moms feel safe, we might be able to sort of like, you know, shorten that interval, you know, but unfortunately we might need to, there might need to be for some, in some cases, a little bit of supplementation. And the only way I would present that to moms is to say, this is the, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to get breastfeeding back on track, you know, but I would say, let's try all these other things first and then let's just evaluate. But one thing to really kind of keep an eye on is how many times that baby is pooping during the day, because that's going to be an indication, mm-hmm. you know, so we want to see like, you know, three to five poops during the day, uh, bigger than a quarter. Um, you know, and that's an, that's an indication that the baby is getting enough. That's actually one of the things that, you know, how moms can tell, um, you know, uh, you know, we, we used to kind of talk about peas, but actually, honestly, if they're getting enough, they're going to be doing both. Um, but it's really the poops that are going to tell us. And so again, like I said, that, that, that's the thing to kind of concentrate on. Uh, you know, what some moms might do is try, you know, doing a little bit of pumping in between feeds. Uh, you may not get very much at this point, but it's more like to stimulate things. But the biggest thing is to to really focus on not being stressed and feeling safe and feeling, you know, comfortable and warm. And so that might be when you sort of call in your sort of support group or your support team. You know, sometimes I think moms are afraid to ask for this, mm. uh, you know, and it's like they feel like, oh, yeah, you know, they should just be able to sort of tough it out. And it's like, boy, that is the opposite of true. Um, and especially after stressful birth, she really needs all the help and support she can get, you know, and, and mom take everything, everything anybody has to offer, you know, uh, if they're going to, if they offer to bring meals over, if they offer to stop at the grocery, if they offer to come and, you know, uh, take the baby for a minute so you can go take a shower, uh, take them up on everything. You know, it, this is your time to actually get all the support that you need. Yeah. And I find that just as having people who are telling you, oh, some moms don't milk, make milk. Oh, you know, not everybody can do this. Oh, you maybe, you know, your baby's hungry and you should just give them formula. Like having yeah. people cheering that way is yeah. just as if, like impactful as having people cheering the other way. You Absolutely. can do this. You've got it. How can I help you do it? So I think there's a lot to, you, you got to get the right support. 
yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, so that so that you can you can persevere because it is a well, learning curve, right? When I said support, I meant actual support. Yeah, yeah, not, not people who are just there. <laughs> you know, that's, this is again that goes back to that idea of safety. You know, and it's like if you got somebody sitting there saying, "Well, I don't think you can make milk," or "Women in our family never make milk," or whatever, um, that's not helpful. Those are the kind of people that need to be limited. Mm. Mm. And I find that you can get a lot of mixed messages at the hospital from nurses, oh, yeah. from even different lactation consultants, from Absolutely. pediatrician, and it, and that can be really stressful, not knowing because you don't know what to do, and then everybody's telling you something different, and your right. baby's you know hungry and crying, right? What do you do then? Well, you know, again, like I said, I I really think it's important. Well, first of all, if you can, try to scope out people ahead of time, you know, and try to kind of find somebody. But if you if you don't feel like you're getting good support from especially like a lactation consultant or if you're not getting good support from, you know, because there's a lot of people who, you know, kind of call themselves lactation, you know, and they have varying levels of skill level and experience. You know, and it's not to say that you need all these big degrees to be good lactation support because, you know, some of the best people are ones that have come up through the mother-to-mother support track Mm. and they're fabulous. But I think one of the things to think about is, first of all, are they supporting you in your breastfeeding and do you feel like they're listening to you? You know, I think that those are kind of two of the, the big things to look for and if you're not getting those, I would recommend going someplace else, honestly, uh, you know, and look to see what other things are available. Um, you can actually even think about some online support, you know, and there's people that do stuff over Skype, you know, so there's a lot of options. I know it's hard when you're a new mom to try to be searching those out, but you know, this could be a good thing to kind of get the partner involved with if the partner is supportive of breastfeeding, which we hope they are, um, you know, but to get the partner, you know, your partner looking into uh, but find somebody, if you don't feel like somebody's listening to you, you know, like I, I we just did this um, special issue for clinical lactation on tongue tie. And I collected a bunch of mother's stories. And one of the things that was so striking to me in these mother's stories was they told, they said over and over and over again, you know, I'm telling them I'm in pain and nobody is listening. They're, you know, they're saying, oh, and the baby's on all the time and, you know, the baby's sleepy and the baby's weight gain is faltering and nobody listened to them, you know, and that was just, a, it was heartbreaking to me to even read that, you know, and so that's, I think, one of the key things. You feel like somebody's listening, they're 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 taking your concerns seriously, and they're giving you some good strategies and you feel like, you feel like they are actually supportive of breastfeeding and not just saying, oh, we'll just give up, you're not going to be able to do this. You know, when I mentioned that there might be a time, you know, for a couple of days that some supplementation was necessary, in my mind, that's always with the mind of we're going to get breastfeeding back on track. But let's try some of this other stuff first and kind of see how we're doing. You know, but what we don't want to get into is, you know, like if if the, you know, especially after a stressful birth, the milk is, is very, very delayed. And then the baby starts getting into a, into a bad situation, too. That's what we kind of want to avoid. But let's try the other stuff first. And it's always, always with the mind of getting breastfeeding back on track. Mm. And it's that that dual system of you got to feed baby, but you also have to make sure that the milk Absolutely. supply is, is is flowing, right? So right. those two things might happen simultaneously and at the same place, or they may not. Mm-hmm. And that's where right. creativity comes in and having that right. good support. Yeah. Yeah. I really love that litmus test or of... Are they listening to you? Are you being heard? And if that's not the case, then get somebody else. Because that can be very empowering for mom, right? That's a specific, oh, it's not that I'm not working. This person's not listening. So what they're telling me doesn't necessarily apply to my circumstance because they're not factoring in what I am telling them. Right. Yeah. And and I actually found, you know, it's like I finally um, stopped going to a pediatrician when my first baby was four months old. You know, and because it was the same kind of thing. She was being so patronizing, you know, and it's like I told her, I said, you know, I think he's getting teeth. And she's like, oh, mothers always think that, 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 you know, she was just so patronizing. And the next day, two teeth popped out. Wow. You know, and I remember actually, you know, there was a final straw where she had told me to do something. And I remember thinking, you know what, this is my baby. 
you know, this is my choice and deciding to go someplace else Mm. because I thought, you know, she's not listening and she's being very patronizing. And I finally like, you know, it's kind of like how it's hard sometimes to break up with our hairdressers. You know, I found yeah, it yeah. kind of hard to sort of break up with my pediatrician. But I remember it was in a kind of an empowering moment because when I all of a sudden thought, no, this isn't working for me. You know, and, you know, you may actually have to try several people before you find somebody who you feel like is listening. I mean, hopefully you'll get it on the first try, you know, but if, if you feel like, you know, somebody's not taking your concerns seriously, definitely go see somebody else. There's plenty of other people. Mm, absolutely. And and then there's that thing of, you know, you are with your baby 24-7, literally. Yeah. You know, but like you were saying about the tea thing, you are with this child so much, you know better what's going on rather than somebody that's, right. you know, popping in and looking at them for 10 minutes. Well, or they say, um, you know, you know, this is the thing that sometimes is frustrating is because, you know, like sometimes, you know, there have been some serious cases where moms knew something was wrong. And everybody just said, oh, you're just being a, you know, over-anxious new mother. You know, and it turned out it was something serious. You know, and it wasn't until the baby was in a crisis. You know, and, and it is, you know, I will tell you kind of from the provider end. You know, sometimes there really isn't anything wrong. I mean, that the mom is anxious just because, you know, she's a new mom and she's anxious. So, you know, as a, as a provider, oftentimes there's a balance, you know, of, okay, you know, what concerns can we just assure, reassure moms about? And what concerns do we need to like get in and address? You know, and sometimes that, that can be for, as a provider, as a balance. And so I think sometimes, you know, providers get a little sort of jaded and they think, oh, well, you know, that, that all new moms think that, you know, mm. and kind of not listening. Um, but yeah, sometimes, you know, like I've had moms tell me, oh, I'm worried I'm not making enough milk. And they've got like a freezer full of milk. Mm-hmm. They're like, they've got enough to feed the neighborhood. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, well, what they need is reassurance, right? And then right. And it and goes so that, back to regardless that of... Be the, that can be the time when we need the reassurance, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. And, and it's, I mean, regardless of going back to that need to support the oxytocin system, if they're feeling stress, whether there's mm-hmm. something actually to be worried about or not, if they're feeling worried, we need to take away that worry, Right. If it's, you know, through reassurance or whatever it is, but but if that back to being heard, if they're telling you they're worried, that's that's for a reason. So let's make sure we address that whichever way that needs to be addressed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing, you know, to I think like moms can relax if they feel like the provider has their back. Yeah. You know, like if they feel like, okay, we're going to just monitor this. You know, I don't think that there's anything going on, but let's keep an eye on it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I think they can kind of like relax a little bit, knowing that somebody else is seeing this. You know, but yeah, what, what concerns me is like, um, I, I can't tell you the number of moms I've seen who have gone to other providers. They're in a lot of pain and they've gone to other providers and the providers are like, well, that should get better in a few weeks. It's like, What? <laughs> you don't have what? <laughs> yeah, no, that's crazy. Let's, crazy. I want to talk a lot more about that pain and also what to do with like if you have sore and cracked blistered nipples, like how okay. to like two two separate things that might or may or may not be related. But let's quit, take a quick break and we'll be right back. So last night, a really crazy dream woke me up at 3 a.m. And then there was no way I was getting back to sleep. I was indeed super frustrated, but... I remembered that I had started my free two-week trial with the Expectful app, which I was meaning to check out for a while now. You guys, I was so impressed. First, I love the voice of the person who reads the meditations and the soft music in the background. It wasn't intrusive. It was so soothing. I chose the sleep meditation for motherhood, and I was out before the 10 minutes were done. Yay! I have tried other meditation apps in the past, and I tell you, this one's really great. Especially, I appreciate how the Expectful app is designed to supply you with whatever you need in terms of your fertility, pregnancy, or postpartum journey, or what you're looking for in that moment, be it sleep, connection with baby and partner, embracing your identity, lessening stress, dealing with uncertainty, whatever. Go to expectful.com slash birthful to sign up for their free two-week trial and check it out for yourself. Don't forget, though, to add the slash birthful part so they know who sent you. So 
expectful.com slash birthful. And we're back talking about breastfeeding struggles and changing expectations around breastfeeding. Um, so yeah, when a mom, it, this whole thing around pain, right? It's huge with breastfeeding. Absolutely. What, what do, do moms need to know about the pain? I would say that the biggest thing is that if there's pain, please go have somebody look at it and address it. And if they, and if this person, you know, if you go see somebody and they blow you off, go see somebody else. You know, sometimes moms think, oh, I'm doing it wrong. No, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not. But pain is a signal to our bodies. You know, it could be, there could be a, a number of things going on. It could be that, you know, that we need to kind of help with the latch a little bit. You know, that maybe the latch isn't deep enough. You know, unfortunately, a lot of the images and stuff that are out there really show a really poor latch. So sometimes moms have this idea that, you know, okay, that, you know, this showed a shallow latch is normal. You know, and unfortunately, a lot of times providers have that idea too. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of amazing to me. It's kind of like, no, that's really actually not quite deep enough. And, you know, it's sometimes for me, I've had moms who've had all this soreness and stuff, and we just kind of can readjust the latch a bit. And all of a sudden, their whole body relaxes, mm. you know, and that's when you know, you kind of kind of got it. You what know, are... I had one mom that I saw one time in six weeks, she'd been struggling. Oh. And she had all kinds of cracks and everything. And as soon as we just kind of I just kind of readjusted the baby a little bit. And all of a sudden, it was like, boom, I mean, her whole body relaxed, even with all the cracks, mm. you know, and everything. And she had she had a thrush on top of it. Oh. I mean, it was really it was really kind of rough. Um, but sometimes it's something we, we don't necessarily see, you know, it could be like that, you know, there's something going on with a, you know, we talked a little bit about tongue tie. Um, it could be that there's an infection. I, you know, there's, there's lots of other things that could be going on. And so this is what I'm saying. It's like, please investigate this. I know there's a lot of stuff going around on Facebook and on social media and saying the first month is really hard. You just have to tough it out. It's like, from my perspective, that's really not great advice. Um, because it's not just a matter of, you know, is it tough? I mean, you, 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 you're raising the risk of getting an infection. Um, there's also, you know, you're raising the risk of quitting. You're also raising your risk of depression because pain is one of those things that sort of triggers all those mechanisms that, that make depression more likely. So it's like, it's, it's kind of like what we said, you know, before the break, you know, as Tina Smiley said, if you got a rock in your shoe, it's not a matter of just trying to adjust and walking differently with the rock. It's like, Stop and take the rock out, you know, so please. And it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It really, really doesn't. I don't want to come across that way, but it's like, you know, it's, this is the time to have, have somebody take a look, you know, and unfortunately sometimes people will take a look and say, well, you know, your latch looks fine. Well, it's not fine. If it hurts, something else is going on then. If that's when you start investigating things like what's going on in the baby's mouth. Hmm. Because it can be things like you mentioned tongue tie, could be lip yep. tie, and it could also yep. be just general tongue motion and function related to yep. soft tissues. And what you need is more like a cranial sacral adjustment or something yep. like that. Yep. And it could be, you know, maybe the baby, you know, depending on how the baby was born or, you know, how they even sat in utero, you know, they could have like a torticollis or, you know, sort of that, you know, sort of twist in the neck. And again, like I said, needing to have some cranial sacral or some chiropractic, um, that can be actually really helpful. But again, like really, you know, it, it, it's something to look into because, um, you know, we, we don't want you suffering. There's no reason for that. Let's, let's, let's make it so it's more comfortable for you. Yeah. And so if a mom has, you know, got to a point where nipples are cracked or blistered yeah. or bleeding, which unfortunately can happen super quick, like you blink and yeah. in a couple of feedings, boom, damage yeah, sure. was done, right? Right. While they figure out and find out, you know, contact somebody, a lactation consultant and, and figure out what is it causing this pain? Do we need to adjust the latch? Does it yeah. need to be deeper? Is it tongue tie? Right. All of these things. What are some things they can do, though, to try to help heal those nipples while they're trying to figure, you know, continue to feed their child and get to the root cause of the pain? Well, um, a couple of things, you know, that have been marketed, but, you know, a lot of moms find these soothing are like something like those hydrogel dressings. You can actually get those and put them in the fridge. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of moms have actually found those very helpful. 
Um, you know, also too, you know, the the purified lanolin can be very helpful. It helps with the moist wound healing. Uh, you know, some people don't like those types of things because they feel like they're being marketed to moms and they're sort of normalizing sore nipples. Um, you know, and I, th- I think a case can be made for that. Um, but when you get to that place where you do actually have them, I think they can actually be really helpful. I mean, yeah, because you need them at some point. If if you have a cracked nipple, it's not normalizing it. You've got a wound that needs to be healed just like right. you would any other wound. Well, I think what people kind of object to is like, you know, that moms are getting sent home from the hospital with this. Ah, gotcha. You know, and it's kind of like, yeah, okay, I, 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 I can see that point. But it's like, yeah, they can. that can be really helpful. And it's, I especially like it, you know, because I can actually, you know, if I've got a call at 9 o'clock at night or something, you know, um, you know, this woman's partner can run out to, say, Walmart and get some of that and, until she can be seen in the morning so she's a little more comfortable at night. Mm-hmm. You know, and if I've got a mom who's got really severe, you know, sort of cracked nipples, I mean, I, what I often suggest is that she, um, you know, hand express or pump for a day or two until she can kind of get that, uh, you know, those nipples healed up. Because, I mean, sometimes you really worry. You know, somebody was telling me about, you know, some she'd seen somebody and her nipple was so bad they thought they were going to actually have to stitch it back on. <sighs> you know, it's like, that's bad, you know, so that in those cases, we definitely need somebody, you know, we probably need a break from breastfeeding, honestly, until things kind of can heal up a little bit, you know, but especially, you know, oftentimes, you know, moms have an okay milk supply. And so that can be that can be a solution. Now, that's not going to be for everybody. You know, I visited a mom one time, and I was actually worried because she was actually having neuropathic pain. So it's like she was having pain, even when the baby wasn't at the breast. You know, and I thought, wow, okay, that's, you know, there's these neural pathways that get laid down and pain can become chronic. And that's actually what was concerning me. And she had a lot of milk stacked up. But um, I had suggested, you know, that maybe she do especially a couple of night feedings because those were tended to be her worst, you know, that that she used a bottle for those. Uh, But the minute I was out the door, she was like, no, I'm not doing that. No. (laughs) So I'm glad I went back the next day because, you know, I think if I'd walked out of there, I would have thought, okay, well, problem solved. Uh, but it wasn't. And I asked her why. And she apparently the on the previous with the previous baby, everybody swooped in and took over feeding the baby. Mm. And she was afraid if she started using a bottle that would happen again. You know, so it's like, okay, we had to think about, okay, well, what else can we do? You know, and so we we had to kind of brainstorm that way. Um, one other thing that can actually really help if you don't want to go that route, um, is to try different positions. Uh, because sometimes those can actually be very helpful. Um, using this sort of biological nurturing position uh, where you have the baby kind of like laying face down on you. Uh, a lot of moms find that can be very helpful for sore nipples. But definitely take a look and see it. You know, is there a position that's a little more comfortable? You know, and maybe a position that moves the baby's mouth off the wounded part of the breast. Uh, you know, that can be another way to kind of um, make it a little more comfortable. Uh, but boy, I tell you, you know, uh, you know, trying to use the stuff in between, you know, the, to, to, to help sort of heal the wound, I think can actually be really, really helpful too. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's it's the the trifecta of trying to make the heat, the feedings less painful, yep. even if that means not feeding directly, but doing hand expressing or changing position, like yep. you said, of addressing the wound when it's not, the baby's not feeding. Right. And then and and getting to the root cause of why is is that pain there? Right, exactly. Ah, I love it. Now, what about stuff that needs medical attention? And okay. and we did talk. You mentioned a little bit about tongue ties, and I do have a, right. a podcast completely on tongue ties. So I'll link on okay. the show notes to that, um, as well as one about the effects of epidurals and specifically the fluids that come with the epidurals on breastfeeding. So, you know, creating that stress that can delay the the milk flow. Um, But what about like blocked milk ducts or thrush mastitis? What, what, What leads to that path and what can be, is there any prevention? Well, you know, there are unfortunately some moms who just are kind of prone you know, they just tend to get more mastitis 
or more blocked ducks. You know, you've seen that. In, and, and with those moms, sometimes there's just not a rhyme or a reason. Um, but a lot of times it's things like missed feedings. You know, like if you go a long time in between feedings and not emptying your breast, um, that can actually lead to mastitis. Um, that's why some of the advice, you know, sometimes that they give new parents, you know, about how long they think your baby should be sleeping at night is actually kind of a disaster. I mean, you know, especially with young babies, you know, you follow that advice, you're probably going to get mastitis. Um, so, you know, there has to be a sort of a frequent emptying of the breast. You also want to kind of make sure that there isn't anything that's sort of like blocking, you know, so we talk about, you know, having a bra that actually fits, don't wear one that's too tight. Um, try to avoid like underwires in the bras. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes you can get mastitis because you have a crack or, you know, in your nipple. And so it allows bacteria to get in. And so again, all the more reason to sort of address it quickly. Um, but if you get that sort of, sort of cracked nipple and you get that, you know, sort of bacterial infection, then, then you can get mastitis. So mastitis is like when you get a, you know, a hot red area on the breast that does definitely need medical attention. Um, that would, that's probably one of the cases where you need to get an antibiotic, definitely call your provider. Um, and also to, uh, you know, using things like hot compresses and some gentle breast massage to kind of like, make sure you kind of keep things moving. Uh, in in the breast and kind of don't have it blocked. You can continue to breastfeed on that breast. Uh, in fact, it's a, it's a good idea if you do. Um, but yeah, definitely that's something to call your provider about because that can actually really turn nasty. So you don't want that. Is it always that kind of progression of a blocked milk duct that then can turn? Like, do you have to have a blocked milk duct duct before getting mastitis, or are they not necessarily such cause and effect? Oftentimes it is a blocked milk duct or it, or it's lack of emptying the breast. So um, it's more like milk still hanging out in the in the cell. I mm-hmm. think that that would probably sort of milk stasis. So it's just it's just sort of hanging out there in those ducts. That's probably the more frequent cause. But also too, you can get it through you know having a crack and bacteria gets in. What about thrush? Yeah. How does that you know? anything to do preventative for that or how does how does that come about and if it's happening what can you do about it well you know of course thrush is a yeast infection on the breast and oftentimes you know it could be that the baby gets it first and then gives it to mom you know and it goes sort of back and forth um so you obviously when you treat you have to treat both treat mom and you treat baby um in terms of prevention you know i'd say probably just you know Eating, eating a healthy diet and not getting overly tired uh, were probably some things that could help. But, you know, sometimes you just get it. I mean, you know, it could be that, you know, I don't know, you know, one, either the mom or the baby gets it. You know, some people are just more prone to it. You know, it's kind of like some people always get athlete's foot when you go mm. to the gym, you know, and some people don't. Um, and so it could be just, you know, one of those things. I'm not sure there's much you can do in terms of prevention. But I think that, you know, obviously, once you get it, obviously, you need to treat it. Um, it... I'm I'm not a big fan of using the systemic Diflucan. You hear about people using that, you know, for weeks on end. Um, You know, as Barbara Wilson Clay said, if you've got a situation where you're doing that and you're on these really strict diets and you're doing all this stuff and it's not getting better, she said, if you keep treating yeast and it's not getting better, it may not be yeast. You know, so I think sometimes what we think is yeast may not be. It might be a bacterial infection. Um, but yeah, oftentimes, you know, you can, you can treat, uh, thrush fairly readily, but it actually can be really quite painful for both mom and baby. Mm. Going back to the, having breastfeeding difficulties because mm. of a, something that happened during birth, specifically to thrush, do yeah. you find that having antibiotics for whatever reason, you know, DBS positive or during birth? has a there's an increased possibility of risk of thrush or is that oh yeah yeah i would so yeah i would think that that's definitely a possibility so would so would doing something like probiotics and 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 um, to prevent to just like to know like i had antibiotics there's a higher risk that's actually yeah in terms of preventative i i was just thinking i was trying to think if there was any sort of dietary things yeah yeah I was kind of blocking on that. But yeah, definitely, like if you have an antibiotic and you take a probiotic, I think that's a good idea. I think that's always a good idea. 
and it's uh, you know and it, it, it still goes back to that nutrition part right like right. you, you, you still if you could do fermented foods and pro, like probiotics any yes. way you can get them yeah 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 no i think that that's a that's actually a very good idea and so you know some people like you know eat fermented foods like yogurts and you know kimchi and things like that to kind of be preventative but you know to be honest i mean you know I, I I think that's just a good idea kind of in general. Um, but, you know, as I said, some people just seem to be more prone to them and some people don't get them at all. Um, it's it's like athlete's foot or it's like, you know, it's like vaginal yeast infections, yeah. you know, either, you know, some people get them like all the time, you know, every time they turn around, they got one. Um, but, you know, other people, they, they go for ages, they take antibiotics all the time and they never get them, you know, so it, there, there is, there does seem to be a susceptibility to them. Um, but uh, again, like I said, I think if you're, especially, you know, like if you can get into this cycle where you get a mastitis and you take an antibiotic and then you get the thrush and that can, that can be a really bad cycle to get into. So thinking preventatively in terms of the probiotics, I think it's a good idea. Mm. And especially if you know that you have like a history of yeast infections yeah. that come easily or that you're more prone to having that come up. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's a good idea. So we talked about many different struggles today. I had like the circumstantials of the mm-hmm. sleepy baby or too much milk and then stuff that is par for the cross uh, for the course of baby development, like yep. the growth spurts or having a baby that wants to nurse all the time, fussy evenings and, and things to do with that. Um, we also talked about stuff that is part of the learning curve, like latching issues <laughs> Uh, other things that are common might be like medical attention, things that need medical attention. So like the tongue tied and the, or the mastitis mm-hmm. we just mentioned, and then the external or internal pressure stuff of that having feelings that you're failing your baby or being concerned about baby's weight or people telling you, oh, just stop. So I think in, in terms of like, these were my categories that I that I yeah. had in my mind when we started. And I think we did a really good job covering all of this. Um, okay. One last one that I'm thinking that is because of the lives we live lots of moms have to return to work early uh yeah. er than than what other cultures do right so in that case when having to return to work what are some possible common struggles that can come up and anything that moms should be on the lookout for and and try to you know how to balance that out to sort of minimize those struggles well, one thing that is probably the biggest perennial challenge is, you know, trying to um, find a place. If you're gonna if you're gonna continue breastfeeding, you know, to try to find a place to pump, you're probably gonna need to pump at least a couple times a day. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, women find that they, you know, get some kind of hostility and pushback from coworkers about that, um, and you know, the management staff. Might be like, well, you know, you're getting a special privilege to go out and do this. Well, I think this is where, you know, and this is hard. I mean, this can be really hard. But one thing that I, I think will be helpful to know is that you are legally entitled to that. You know, so I would definitely take a look at, uh, you know, go on to the Office of Women's Health site website, and it's uh, something called the Business Case for Breastfeeding. Um, and the Department of Labor actually also has a really good article. Um, on your rights, you know, in terms of, you know, you're, you're allowed a place to pump and it's not a bathroom, you know, you're allowed unpaid breaks to go pump. Um, you know, some of it's just dealing with the culture. I mean, you may feel a lot of really negative, you know, pressure, um, from, you know, like your coworkers and stuff, but some of it is, I think just, you know, if you kind of walk in prepared, uh, you can overcome that. Now in some workplaces, they're wonderful. You know, the, you know, the management and staff are, are supportive. Um, you know, you can do it. You know, and unfortunately, some types of jobs just don't lend themselves to um, being able to easily pump. You know, like if you work in the service industry, you know, if you work, say, at McDonald's, you know, it's going to be really hard. I mean, I, I, you've heard about moms, you know, sitting out in their car pumping. Uh, the, I mean, that's so common. In fact, there's a car jack, or, you know, a thing that goes into your cigarette holder so you mm. can do that. You know, um, but I would say try to be kind of creative about that. There's some good books out on the market. Um, Working in Breastfeeding Made Simple is is one, you know, book that's available um, that really gives a lot of strategies. There's actually some mini versions of that available that we've published um, that just have really specific things about, you know, kind of how you can kind of make that work. 
Also, too, we have a really good article on the clinical lactation uh, website. Um, it's uh, it's Corey Martin. You can actually search for her. It's K-O-R-I. But she wrote an article about your legal rights uh, under the new sort of uh, ruling. Uh, and it's really good because it tells you, and you can actually have a conversation with your employer about that. Because, again, like they said, they may have this idea that they're giving you special privileges, um, but you really actually have a legal right to those. So I would say, you know, go in and have a conversation. You know, um, try to kind of approach it from a problem-solving kind of standpoint. Um, but, you know, also, you know, kind of try to figure out some things to say when some of your, you know, coworkers are being, you know, sort of not supportive. If you can kind of have a line prepared where you can say, well, you know, this is what's working well for me and my family, or this is something that I need to do for my baby, or you know what, <laughs> back off. <laughs> <laughs> I'll squirt you. <laughs> we have a we have a we have a book we did called um, "Free to Breastfeed" and it's stories of black mothers. And there was one in there, and it was um, you know she was saying about how. Like if somebody was going to give her a hard time breastfeeding in public and she said, you know, she would say this and she would say this and it was her legal right. Da, da, da. And she said, and, I, and she said, I would tell all that before I told him to, to, you know, back the F up away from my baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're escalating this. We're going to get to, yeah. Escalating this. You know, but I'm kind of reading along is the first time I read that and I'm thinking, oh, this is so nice. You know, and then all of a sudden it was like, whoa, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you guys have a fantastic resource of a library of books. Um, tell us a little bit more about Proclarious Press and what you do so that listeners can go and check out all of that good stuff. Well, um, we publish books. Our, our specialty is women's health, but we we have an, we have a lot of books on, you know, sort of breastfeeding and also postpartum. You know, those are sort of passions of of mine, and so we actually do have some really wonderful books on, you know, different kind of resources. There's, um, uh, but we have you know books for moms who are working. We have a we have a very nice book we just published on weaning. It's called a lovely a loving weaning. And she's really got some very good strategies. And this could be, you know, something for like later on down the line when, you know, it's time to, you know, maybe slow down on breastfeeding. Uh, You know, she has some great strategies for even like, you know, what do you do about, you know, you got a one-year-old and the baby's breastfeeding all the time at night, you know, and you're exhausted and what do you do? Um, So, you know, we've got there, we've got a a great book for postpartum doulas, which I think actually is something that mothers would enjoy reading. We have a book for moms called Seven Sisters for Seven Days, uh, and it talks a lot about the, um, uh, you know, sort of postpartum period, but also kind of how you can help set up a a network for yourself, um, you know, that will actually help support you. Uh, And then we have a lot of books on perinatal mental health. I'm just sitting here looking over at my uh, at my list here and see if there's anything else I'm kind of forgetting. Um, so, you know, we have books for moms. We have books for professionals. But uh, we have a really quite a nice list. So, yeah, I would definitely encourage you to go take a look um, and uh, and see if there's some books in there that uh, would be of interest. Because I said we've, we've got some really good resources and we've got some really good authors that are very knowledgeable about things. Mm-hmm. And so spell the website or spell precarious yes, pla- it's, for it's, people who uh, are only listening. Yeah. E-R-A-E-C-L-A-R-U-S press.com. Perfect. So, and I will link to all that in the show notes for sure. Okay. That'd yeah. be great. Yeah. And I have a, I did a, a, an episode, a podcast with Nancy Morbacher on pumping and going back oh, to work. Great. So I'll okay. link to that too, along okay. with the, her book, Working on, yeah. on Breastfeeding Mates, Working and, and, and we also mates. We also have mini versions of it. And so that cool. might be helpful too, to like link to the minis. Because yeah. sometimes, you know, if you don't want to read a, you know, an inch long book, you know, uh, sometimes what we did is we took kind of some sections out of Working and Breastfeeding Made Simple and made them smaller versions. Oh, perfect. Fabulous. Yeah. Wonderful. Kathy, thank you so, so much for being here today. As always, it's been a delight. Well, it's been great to be here. And thank you for uh, thank you for addressing this topic. I hope this is helpful. Mighty ones, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Go to birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages and more. I'm also on Facebook or Twitter as at birthful. So come say hi. 
And don't forget to check out birthfulcourses.com to truly prepare for life with a newborn. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you, the Birthful Patreon supporters, and by the wonderful people at Expectful. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous birthful library. Happy listening.